Welcome to Trailhead Church. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor. Thanks for joining us this morning. We are continuing in uh, Romans, and uh, we are continuing to look at verses 1 through 5. I want to reread these verses for us now, and um, uh, and then we're going to dig in. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have a also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Verse 3 is where we're going to really be picking up and focusing this morning. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, today we come to the crazy part of the passage that talks about rejoicing in in suffering. Um, Yeah, we're living through a season of suffering collectively as a society, as as a city, as a people, right? Um, and, And that suffering takes on many, many forms, which is exactly what our text is talking about when he says more than that we rejoice in our sufferings, plural, the Greek word there is philipsis, and it describes really the, the entire range of, of suffering, right? And the plurality of, of the noun there indicates that, right? It's from, from general discomfort all the way to anguish, from annoyance to persecution, um, from being sick of, of not eating out and um, not being able to go to public events, to being exhausted by your little angels and being trapped in the house with them while they're acting like little devils. Um, and the reality is it, it includes as well the underlying buzz of anxiety that we all feel uh, and are dealing with in a time of pandemic, as well as all the way to the the very real and open sorrow and suffering of those who have lost loved ones um, and are dealing with um, other catastrophic results of this time of suffering. Um, We are to rejoice in our sufferings. Um, I think think there's a temptation here. The temptation is one just to kind of write this off as crazy talk. Um, There's a lot of things in the Bible that we read and we're like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. (laughs) Uh, Maybe if I was a super Christian, I could do that. You know, maybe, maybe if I was the apostle Paul, I could do that. Uh, and we forget that Paul had absolutely no concept of of sinners and saints, right? There are just sinners who have been declared righteous by God and therefore are saints. That's it. Um, there's no gradation, right? There's no grade A leader. And, and there's just the normal Christian life that we are all living. And uh, we're either engaging it and living it with sincerity or we're not, right? So So there's a temptation to write it off and think, well... This is for super Christians, that classification of people that honestly doesn't exist. This is, this is for everyone. Um, or worse, I think the temptation is just to feel condemned by it. Uh, I think um, even this week, I've had a number of conversations with people that were going through significant suffering in their life. And, um, and they're, you know, they just kind of open up with, I know I'm not supposed to feel this way. I know I'm not supposed to be short-tempered. I know I'm not supposed to be angry. I know I'm not supposed to, and they fill in the blank, right? 
Um, as if somehow, because they're a believer in Jesus, they're not supposed to experience sorrow or frustration or provocations to anger or, or other things like that, right? They, they take this as a condemnation. If I, if I was just a better Christian, then I wouldn't have all of these hard and negative feelings. Um, y'all, listen, this is real talk for real Christians. This is real talk for you and me. This is actually an invitation to a different way of engaging our suffering, okay? It is not a condemnation because you haven't arrived. In fact, this isn't describing um, arrival and not arrival. It's describing a process that you're going to either struggle with integrity or, or you're going to walk away from because um, you just don't want to actually engage the heart of it, right? So what I want to do this morning is unpack this idea. What does it mean to rejoice in our suffering and, and, and how do we do that, right? How do we progressively engage that? Because here's the thing, if we're going to rejoice in our suffering, we need to see that there's a purpose in God's plan uh, in the midst of our suffering, right? Understanding the plan of God will help us un- to trust the hand of God, right? Understanding the plan of God will help us trust the hand of God, which will help us to engage our suffering in a fundamentally different way. So what I want to do, first of all, is, is help us just understand how this command fits in to our passage, right? We've already spent several weeks in Romans 5 kind of unpacking this. It opens with, therefore, having been justified by faith, uh, therefore looks back to chapters 1 through 4 and, and leads into this really, really pregnant phrase. Paul uses this phrase, and it is just loaded with meaning. Having been justified or declared right by God, by grace through faith. Right? It's a loaded phrase, and at the heart of that phrase is this, this theological concept we call double imputation. That my sin was imputed to Christ, credited to Christ on the cross, that he died under the weight of my condemnation as my substitute in my place. And then in his resurrection, his obedience, his righteousness was imputed to me, credited to me. Right? And in fact, we see that, that, um, that dual aspect of imputation reflected in, in the next two verses, right? Um, in verse one, it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Because my sin was imputed to Christ and he paid its price, I have peace with God, right? In verse two, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Because his righteousness has been imputed to me, I now stand in a position of favor. I now stand in a position of acceptance and love and delight. I stand in the very position of Christ himself. I stand in grace before God, right? So because my sin was imputed to Christ, I have peace with God. And because Christ's righteousness has been imputed to me, I now stand in a position of grace. Now our passage then goes on and explores the consequence of this double imputation, right? Since my sin was imputed to Jesus, I have peace. And since my, his righteousness was imputed to me, I stand in grace. And because of that, I now rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now we've talked about that word rejoice, uh, the Greek word kahalmai, um, because it means more than just to take joy in. It can be translated to boast, to rejoice, or to glory in, right? Everybody has kahalmais, things that they look to, right? And, and your kahalmai, when you get it, makes you feel like you're on top of the world. When you don't get it, it makes you feel like you've lost everything, right? Your joy, your boast, your glory. It's that thing that you look to to offer you security or significance or comfort, right? And if you don't get it, it can even feel like the world is, is falling apart, right? And, and Paul is saying, look, we now have 
the original kahalmai. The kahalmai that we were created to have. The original boast and joy and goal. The end of our lives. The ultimate hope of our lives. We actually boast and rejoice. We have our identity anchored in the hope of the glory of God. Right? So, so my boast and my rejoicing and my glory is, is no longer anchored in what I can do or what I can secure, what I can keep, what I can get. My, my, my boast, my rejoicing, my glory is now anchored in what, what God has given me in Christ, right? The ability to once again live in the glory of God. Now it's a loaded again, another loaded phrase that we have unpacked. Glory is not talking about glowing, glowing with, with, with bright lights. It is not talking about moral perfection. It is not talking about holiness. All of those things may be included or byproducts of it. I don't know, but glory, the word glory means honor. That's what glory means, right? And, and so when it talks about the glory of God, what it's talking about is the honor of being created in the image of God, right? We now boast and have our, our joy set in hope, right? Eager anticipation. Right? It's not, it's ours, but it's not being fully experienced by us yet. Right? We have our hope in the fact that we can once again be crowned with the honor of God. We looked at, at Psalm 8 and talked about, uh, saw how the glory of God, this idea of being created in the image of God, is manifest in the exercise of the dominion of God, that we, we were created to be stewards of creation, to exercise dominion, to exercise our power in a specific way. So when it talks about our hope being in the glory of God, it's not talking about some, some vague idea that somehow we're going to look different. It is a job description. It's not something that we're going to look like. It's something we're going to do, right? If we're carrying out our job description, we will actually be carrying the honor of being created in the image of God and exercising our power in line with the creational intent of, of why that power was, was given to us. We will once again be acting as the royalty we were created to be. In the royal family, actually created in the very image of God, in the kingdom of God. We were not designed to operate in the kingdom of greed, where we fight to keep what we have and get more. Where we were you know, this world where we compete with God instead of resting on God. We compete with one another to, to try to figure out if we're more significant or more secure or more important or more, more whatever, right? We just weren't designed for that. We were built to live in a kingdom that was driven by an economy of love. We were, we were built to image God, to produce, to provide, to, to live out our individual identities in such a way that, that we actually increase the shared flourishing of life, right? To, we were designed to build and to bless, not to get and to keep. We were designed to be in the, the, the flow of God's generous heart, receiving from God, freely giving from God, right? Knowing that we could never outgive God. We were designed to fulfill the great command, to love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, and mind strength, and to love our neighbor as we love ourself. Right? So, so we are now free. Our hope is freed from, from being anchored in the kingdom of man to now being anchored in, in hope of the, the, the glory of God. We've been set free from the insanity of trying to get the fullness of life through the power of death. 
And we've been set free to honor, uh, to the honor of, of being what we were created to be, right? So, so listen, Jesus, um, defeated death, right? Death is the consequence of sin, and Jesus became the embodiment of my sin, and he defeated death on my behalf, right? So he, he killed my jailer, right? He then grabbed the keys of death, right? Hebrews talks about that. What a graphic image. He got the keys of death, and he actually opened the cage, right? So Jesus defeated my jailer, and he opened my cage, right? So, so you're like, man, that, that should just fix everything, right? That, that should just, everything should be good. We, what more do we need? We need a lot. You know why? Because our sickness goes so deep, our slavery goes so deep, the, the twisting of our hearts goes so deep that we actually love ourselves. We actually love this, this thing that traps us and limits us and robs us of true hope and true joy and true purpose. We love it because we've come to see our cell as essential to our existence, right? We, we, this cell, this limited cell of what I can provide, what I can do, what I can accomplish, right? Securing my own security, marking the boundaries of my own glory, um, making myself attractive and worthwhile, um, finding my own comfort in my own terms, my own ways, right? Me defining my life in my way in opposition uh, or at least an independence from God, right? It is me competing with God instead of resting on God. I This little kingdom feels like home. You know why? Because I, I've decorated the walls of my cell with the things that make me feel comfortable about me. They, they, it just feels like, 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 like this is my, it's essential for my existence, right? It's decorated with all my favorite memories. I've got a wall with, with all the medals of, of, uh, that define my victories, right? My, my personal glories, the things that mark me apart and make me special, right? I've got a whole wall of the things that I've worked so hard to accumulate over time that, that show me that I'm significant or I'm important or I'm actually lovable or I'm, I'm, you know? I've also got my shrines in here. My little shrines to my heroes. Those people that I've set up on a pedestal that I think if I could just be like them, if I could just get their favor, or, or if I could just imitate their, or if, or if they could just, right, that we, we build our little shrines to human, to human heroes, thinking somehow if we can just keep them on a pedestal, they can lead us to the fullness and, and flourishing of life, right? And then we have our, our little shrines in other spots that are shrines to our pain. Those little spots that, that we've, we've established that, that are like, Here's the marker of my resentment. Here's the tribute to my persevering uh, uh, anger and resentment toward my, my enemy. And if I walk away from that, then they get off. And if I walk away from, from my medals, then, then why did I fight so hard and work so hard? And if I walk away from the shrines to my heroes, then, then, who am I supposed to trust in? What am I supposed to hope for, right? To walk away from all of this, listen to me, to walk away from it feels like dying because we've anchored our identity in this place. I've worked so hard to build this little kingdom to keep and to get that to walk away feels like death. It hurts. It hurts. But y'all, it's a necessary pain. 
And when we understand that it's a necessary pain, we, we have to be delivered from this cell to open, to walk out into the open freedom and joy of the grace of God. When we start to understand this, the transition between verse 2 and 3 makes a lot more sense, right? When he says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, verse 3, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. More than that. You know, it's a, it's a little Greek phrase that means more than that or not only that. It's, it's Paul's way of tying this statement to the previous one. He's saying, you're, you're not going to understand this statement unless you understand its connection or relationship to the previous one, right? We rejoice in hope of the glory of God, but even further, as a, as a, as a necessary component of that, in order to reach that, we rejoice in our suffering. And this only makes sense if you understand that in order to reach your first boast, right, your, your hope of the glory of God, you have to get there through your second boast, which is suffering. Now, here's the irony, y'all. Nobody likes suffering, right? Nobody likes pain. And, and I don't think in any way Paul is saying that you're supposed to get to a place where you enjoy your pain. What he's saying is that you need to understand there's a purpose in your pain, right? It changes everything when, when we understand that the suffering we despise is necessary to reach the blessing that we love, right? The pain is the necessary pathway because we have to be freed. There is something in us that has to die because whatever it is, that thing, that thing that, that, that has to die is the very thing that's keeping us trapped in death. It's that identity that is rooted in that little cell. It is that, that part of us that, that just wants to live in independence from God and in opposition to God. And instead of in the free flowing of love, he wants to be that part of me that wants to be trapped in greed and, and, and self-glory. You know, we all know that you have to pass through pain to get through blessing. We all know this. And we all know that often the blessing is what measures the pain, right? So in other words, the greater the blessing, the greater the pain we're willing to go through to get it, right? Every athlete knows this, right? Any athlete who has done any kind of training understands that the benefit or the blessing that you are seeking is on the other side of the pain. And so you endure the pain, you go through the pain to get to the blessing, right? The pain is is almost inconsequential compared to the blessing that you're you're pursuing, right? Every woman who's had a child knows this. Holy cow, Right? That nine months of your body just absolutely changing and, 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 and crazy hormonal and, 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 and this thing, man, it like takes over your life. And, and of course, that's just the, the process of, of developing the child, let alone childbirth, right? But, but the blessing outweighs the pain, right? This is, this is what explains anybody who, who enters a, a demanding job field that is going to require them to work really, really hard. And especially, you're going to have to potentially work for a decade really, really hard for almost no pay in order to get a reputation or to get a leg up to a point where you can actually get the, the market value for your work, right? It's the, the blessing that motivates us to move through the pain. This is why any person would choose to get married or even have a friendship because we want the blessing even though we know it's going to, at times, cause us pain 
to get to it. Listen, pain itself isn't the enemy. The pain we hate is pain without purpose. The pain we hate is the kind of pain that doesn't seem to be anchored in any way to a blessing that we love. So Paul is saying something really remarkable here. He's saying that the work of Christ gives purpose to our pain. And not just any specific pain, not just holy pain or or like, oh yeah, I can totally see God's at work in this pain. Like all pain, even the kind of pain that when, when we're going through it, we're like, it feels like God's a thousand miles away. How in the world could he have any purpose in something when he's not even here? So I want you to hear this. He's not saying that the pain itself is good or what brings the pain is good. There are a lot of things in our lives that are bringing pain that are themselves not good, right? Um, Paul is, isn't saying that, 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 you know, cancer is good or that COVID-19 is good or that a narcissistic and abusive spouse or parent is good, right? That's not what he's saying. Paul isn't saying that everything that gives us pain is good. What he's saying is that God will use everything that gives us pain for something we love. God will actually hijack the evil things that take place in our lives to bring about good results. Romans 8.28, now we're going to get there um, someday when we get to Romans 8. But Romans 8.28 is a, is a powerful verse in connection with this, right? It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God intentionally has a story that he's telling that is greater than our story. There are many things that take place in our story that have evil elements to them. But God is over that story. And he is writing a greater story. He, his story is so great, he will even take the evil things that have happened and ultimately use them pro- to produce good in our lives, right? There are many bad things that happen in our stories, but we have a God who's above the story, telling a bitter, bigger and better story. And, and he's at work, listen to me, he's at work even in your pain, your suffering. In fact, I can say it more strongly, he's at work especially in your pain. Right? We boast in hope of the glory of God. Man, I can once again bear the honor of exercising my power according to love. I can, I can exercise the dominion of his kingdom so that I can be crowned with the honor of being created in the image of God and actually bearing that image out in the job description of life. And, and because my hope is in the glory of God, I rejoice in suffering, not not because I love the pain, but because that suffering helps move me closer to my hope. How? Paul breaks it down, right? So let me just move through this fairly quickly, right? In verse three, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Let me Let me break down this chain here, right? So first of all, Suffering produces endurance. That, that's a Greek word, hupomene. I've, I've talked to you about it before. I love this word. Uh, when I was first learning Greek, I, I used visual images. I'm, I'm a very visual thinker. And, and um, mene means to remain. 
hupo means under, and I just pictured a hippo remaining under the water, right? That like they can just take a breath and chill out underwater forever. Like I would be turning purple. I would be straining the nerve, the you know, the, the veins in my neck would be popping out, and the hippo is just like chill. Like, yeah, I can remain under here a really long time. Right? It's not even hard for me. That's a great picture of hupomane, of endurance. Um, endurance is the strength to remain under. Right? So, so what's so cool about that is, is we want the trial to go away and God's like, I'm going to give you the strength you need to remain under the trial. Right? We, we just want all the difficulty to pass and he's like, I'm going to give you something better than that. I'm going to give you a strength that makes the difficulty less difficult. I'm going to give you a strength so that the suffering is less painful. Like, so you can just be like a hippo chilling out without, without like, like, you know, you got all this strength and you're just chilling out. Right, And the reason you're freaking out, honestly, isn't because of the trial. It's because of your weakness. Right, So, so uh, we rejoice in our suffering because suffering produces endurance. Not the strength to escape, but the strength to remain. Now listen, what's interesting about this is that we don't get strength for suffering. We get strength through suffering which is really annoying. Because you know what? I want the strength before I go into the trial. I'm like, Lord, you didn't prepare me for this. Like, like I want the strength before I have to actually go through the difficulty. I was talking with a young guy this last week and, and he was talking about somebody he admired and, and he was like, man, I just want to be, I want to be like that. I want to be like that person, but I just don't have it in me. And I'm like, of course you don't have it in you. You know why? Because you don't get the strength that they have until you've gone through what they've gone through. You don't show up to suffering with the endurance you need to make it through. It's not the way it works. God doesn't give you the endurance and then give you the suffering. You develop the endurance through the suffering. You need the suffering to develop the endurance. In the same way the athlete needs the training. You, you have to actually go through the process of developing the strength to have the strength. You develop the endurance through the suffering, but not just through any suffering, because not all suffering is redemptive. In other words, all suffering can be redemptive, but it depends on how we go through it, right? We need to keep our hope anchored in the glory of God. We, we need to go through our suffering with our, with our, our hope. Um, our, 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 how am I? Our, our rejoicing, our boasts, our glory, anchored in, in the hope of the glory of God, that that needs to be our primary hope as we go through. Not, not escape from the discomfort, but the blessing on the other side. Because all we're doing is going through and focusing on the fact that I want to escape the discomfort. We're not actually increasing our hope in the glory of God. We're actually strengthening our hope in the glory of man. We're, we're actually increasing our hope in, in the weakness that comes from being anchored in the kingdom of man. So you can't build endurance for the suffering before it comes, but you can build endurance um, for suffering. <laughs> now here's the cool thing, y'all. Some of you are like, man, I, I hope I have endurance when the big, big trials hit. Well, here's the thing. You can start building endurance with the suffering you already have. Because we all have suffering. 
sometimes we think that we only need endurance for the big trials. Uh, that we only need God's strength for the major tragedies. And thankfully, I don't have any of those in my life right now. So I'm good, God. I'm good. I don't need you right now, but I hope you're there when I do need you. And of course, that is absolute foolishness. That is thinking that is in line with the kingdom of man, not a hope that is set in the glory of God, right? Because, because for me to bear the honor of the kingdom of God, for me to actually exercise the dominion entrusted to me, I have to be completely, humbly dependent on God, right? Jesus said, you can do nothing apart from me. Right? He wasn't exaggerating. Right? His strength is made manifest in my weakness. The, the weaker I am, the stronger I am. The more humbly dependent I am, the more I live out of the strength that, that God gives me. Right? Um, we need to see ourselves as in need of that strength at all times. We too often gives our, give ourselves a pass with the little discomforts of life to not be humbly dependent on God and continue to keep our anchor, our hope anchored on, on the glory of God, right? When we get behind the slow driver in the fast lane, we give ourselves a pass and, and we feel completely justified in grousing and griping and talking about how people from Missouri don't know how to drive because they're over here in Illinois or people in Illinois don't know how to drive because they're not from our actual home state or just people in general are stupid and don't know how to drive because they're not me, right? We, we give ourselves this, this pass to get all angry and angsty and, and superior and condemning, right? When, when things go wrong, um, uh, you know, with our computers, little minor things, right? It's not what I, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. It's not doing it the way I want it. We give ourselves this freedom to let this anger rise up within us and, 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 and to feel so self-justified in our condemnation. We allow this to happen on social media. As we're scrolling through and there's that person again posting that thing that, that they shouldn't be posting. It's just stupid and provocative and they shouldn't be, pro- and we give ourselves the freedom to be provoked. Right? Here's the thing, y'all. Um, when I get angry or resentful, fill myself with self-pity or self-righteousness, when, when I allow my heart to get ugly and feel superior and condemning of others, um, these aren't little things. These aren't little things. Every time we choose the selfish response, we choose to strengthen our love either for the kingdom of God or for the kingdom of man. We are either increasing our strength by allowing God to use our suffering to increase our endurance, or we are opting for weakness. The weakness of, of self-centeredness and self-glory and self-focus. Listen, pain is going to train us to hope in one thing or another. Self-pity and self-justifying anger or gratitude and generous joy. Listen, the source of pain might be from the devil himself. But God is greater than the evil. We need to engage God's plan instead of getting lost in the pain. We need to recognize that God has a purpose in the pain. I need to focus my mind and my heart on God's grace instead of allowing myself the freedom to give vent to my grumbling and my grousing. There's nothing like pain. There's nothing like suffering to remind us that we aren't God and we have no choice but to be humbly dependent on God because it is in weakness that we are made strong. And every time you make a choice, you change. 
You're either going to fall more in love with your cell or you're going to take one more step out of it. So suffering produces endurance, right? Endurance produces character. The Greek word for character, dokume, um, I love this word because it means that which has been tested and proven to be real. That which has been tested and proven to be real. That which is authentic, right? Suffering produces endurance. Endurance makes us real. Uh, We have a phenomenal capacity to pretend to be what we wish we were. We have a phenomenal capacity for hypocrisy and fakeness. To put on a front. To pretend to be what we wish we were. And as long as people think we are what we're pretending to be, we can even deceive ourselves into thinking we are what we pretend to be. Right? This is part of the sick deceptiveness of the sin in our hearts that we can pretend to be free even while we're camping in our prison. We can pretend to be motivated by love even while we're driven by greed. We can pretend to, to, to love God with our hearts, souls, minds, and strength while we're driven by a need to build our own platforms and establish our own glory and, and provide for our own security and, and, and look for our own comforts in our own ways. Um, listen, y'all, if it was just up to us, we would sit in our little cells and convince ourselves that this is what it means to be free. If I could just get comfortable enough in here, if I could just order it the way I want it to be, we, we have the capacity to become so deceived, we do and think that is freedom itself, that we are walking in humble dependence on God because we no longer need God and nothing challenges our weakness to remind us that we aren't. This isn't just the insanity of what we could do, y'all. This is what we do do all the time, every day. This is, this is part of the nature of the insanity of our worldliness, right? We settle for the image instead of the reality, instead of fighting to make it real. Listen, God isn't interested in our looking like good Christians. God isn't interested in us wearing our Sunday best. God isn't interested in us being able to polish the outside enough that that people are deceived about what was really going on on the inside. Um, You know what God wants? God wants to crown us with the glory that is our inheritance as those created in the image of God. He wants us to wear the honor of those who exercise the genuine dominion of the kingdom of God. He wants us to be real, like inside and out, like an authentic, um, uh, one holistic reality. As those who, who have been loved, and love in response. And because we've been so ridiculously loved, we are free to love. Not, not just those who are pretending. And I'll tell you what, man, American Christianity is filled with pretenders. And I don't, it's just reality. It's just reality. Christian leaders who have huge platforms because, um, they say the things people want to hear in ways people like to hear them. Um, they create worldly influence. They, they start creating this hero like, like, you got to be careful of this whole hero thing, man. We should not be putting anyone on a pedestal, and, and we need to be really careful that we don't do that to people because it destroys their souls. 
right? They're, every single week. And just this last week, there was another story that came out about it, this, this, this huge hero in evangelicalism that when, when the curtain was pulled back, you find out that, that this guy was full of, of spiritual and emotional and sexual abuse. Um, y'all, he looked great on the outside. And I'm not saying God didn't do great things through him. That, that's one of the wonders of God is that he does great things through broken vessels, right? But it means this, that, that somehow the platform would become so seductive that not only he, but the people who were benefiting from that platform protected the fact that it wasn't real. That there wasn't an integrity that ran through the heart of it. God wants to make us real. He's not interested in us looking the part. He wants to actually transform us into the image of Christ. As we grow in endurance, we grow in our ability to, to not opt out. That, that suffering doesn't become the trigger for us to, to, to self-glory or self-pity or, or demonize others. Or right, we, we actually grow stronger in love. Listen, God wants our confession to become our character. And our character, as we grow in it, actually grows our hope. That's the final stage, right? Um, our endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Now, this brings us full circle to the hope of the glory of God. It is as we grow in character, as we are made real, as our confession becomes our character as what we believe becomes the actual operating force of, of who we are, that we actually grow in our hope of the glory of God. It becomes less of an abstract and more of a, a working, powerful dynamic in our lives. As we actually start becoming convinced that what we say we believe is actually true. And as we actually live out the principles of love, we become bolder and bolder in love. And, and as we do, the hope of the glory of God becomes more tangible, more real, more motivating, more rewarding in our lives. Instead of just being this, this thing that's up on a shelf that, man, someday I'm going to get to be, uh, you know, the glory of God is this great future by and by, man. It's, it becomes this, this grace that meets me in the gritty here and now. And transforms me and frees me. So I actually start tasting some of this incredible benefit in this, in this world and sharing it with others. Instead of just saying, you know, someday God's going to make it right, I can start saying with genuine, authentic sincerity, God is making it right. Even in the suffering, even in the pain, even in this broken world, there is glory and honor in love and being loved. And sharing love. Y'all, every time we feel suffering, we are once again tested with the question, not only do I really believe this stuff, but is it worth it? And Paul ends up in verse 5, and hope, this hope, the hope of the glory of God, it doesn't put us to shame. In other words, it delivers on its promises. It doesn't leave you hanging. It doesn't set you up expecting one thing and gives you something else. Not like the promises of the glory of man. Not, not the broken promises of the kingdom of man, of keeping and getting. And No, man. This hope does not put us to shame. This hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. As we move more and more into the reality of the glory of God, of actually bearing the honor of his kingdom and exercising our power in accordance with love. As we do that, 
We taste more and more the love of God that's already been poured out freely in our hearts. We don't get more of it. We experience more of what we already have, right? And as we experience more of the love of God, it frees us in responding to that love to move out into the economy of love and love more. It increases our hope by increasing our experience. It doesn't give us greater riches, but it gives us a greater capacity to experience the riches we already have. Is it worth it? It's the only thing worth anything. Everything else is a deceptive lie. You cannot get enough or keep enough. You cannot get a big enough platform. You cannot get enough experience or enough pleasure. You cannot get enough money. You can't find enough security. There is nothing in this world that will meet you where you need to be met and give you what you need to have that will give you your purpose and your drive, your security and your comfort. This is what you were created for. And by the grace of God, Christ has won it for you. Your hope is in the glory of God. And because your hope is in the glory of God, it completely changes your relationship with pain. Because you recognize that your suffering is being redeemed by the God who redeemed the suffering of Christ who used that suffering to bring about blessing, he's at work right now, right now in your pain. You are not inadequate. You are not broken. And yes, you may be overwhelmed. And there are times that that God feels a million miles away. But in those moments, you need to come back and remind yourself of the heart of your faith that you have a God who loves you, who has not abandoned you, and the love of God has already been shed abroad in your heart. Remind yourself of the God who loves you. Because when you trust the heart of God and understand the plan of God, it will allow you to rest in the hand of God. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the incredible gift of your goodness. I thank you that you are a God who loves. And because you are a God who loves, I can have hope. The eager anticipation of blessing. And that my hope is anchored in the fact that you have redeemed me, that I can be what I was created to be and do what I was created to do. Lord, make yourself great among us. Continue to free us from our small little cells of self-glory that we might walk into the genuine freedom of Christ, the genuine honor of being crowned as those created in your image. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.